Do you ever have a hard time trying to figure out what's most important? Have you ever faced that dilemma? There are two good options. Well, which is your favorite? Well, both. I was driving home just yesterday trying to figure out how to introduce this topic of priorities and and what's most important. And I thought about uh, a home movie from, I'm going to call her my niece. I don't know if she is technically or not. It's Elizabeth's cousin's daughter. They live over in Knoxville. And I called them up. I said, could I share this video with our, our church? I think it's about a minute and a half long. And it's of their little girl. Her name is Lily. And Lily's trying to decide what her favorite color is. And uh, I think you'll catch on pretty quick. Um, but if we have that queued up, let's go ahead and watch. I share this with their permission now. Lily trying to figure out what's her favorite color. Okay, I'll be ready. Uh-huh. Okay. What's your favorite color? Um, purple. But if you had to pick one, which would you pick? Two. You can I, o- but you could only pick one. One, only one can be your favorite. Purple and pink, because that's. But if I gave you purple and pink and said you can only have one, which would you pick? Pink or purple one? Because that's my favorite color. Lily, if I got you two bicycles, one was pink and one was purple. I want them. And I said you can only have one of them. I want them. Purple one. one. Purple. So purple's really your favorite. Oh. Oh, no, I want pink. I've probably watched that a dozen times, and it just gets cuter and cuter every time. Trying to decide. You know, as, as kids, it may be something like what color bicycle you want, purple or pink. And uh, I, did, I failed to ask what bicycle color she ended up with. Uh, but have you heard the saying, if everything is a priority, then nothing is a priority? Have you heard that before? Invariably, when we say yes to something, we're automatically saying no to a lot of other things. And as we get older, it's not just what's our favorite color, but what are we going to do with our time, with our resources, the choices we're going to make, what schools we're going to go to, who we're going to date, who we're going to propose to, a whole list of things Uh, And and it comes down to a lot of choices. What is priority in my life? Is it a big deal to me that God is on this campus or is not? Is it a big deal to me that I have to get off off work early to go to this ministry event or to do this thing in the community? And it all comes down to priorities, making those choices. But a lot of times in our humanness, I want both. I want two. Which one? Purple or pink? Both. And we have a hard time deciding which way we're going to go. You know, we've been looking at three eternal principles over the last two weeks, and we're going to introduce the third one today. And so just in a way of review, it's been a little time, but the first eternal principle that we looked at was, God, what is your will? That is the the fundamental or one of the fundamental questions that we need to ask with any given decision, whether it be big or even if it's just small. 
Lord, what is your will for today? How do you want me to spend my time today? How, me, how do you want me to run my business or my practice? How do you want me to interact and who do you want me to interact with? All of these things. God, what is your will? For that, we looked at John chapter 4, the woman at the well, and talked about how Jesus said, I must go through Samaria. Because he had a job to do. He had to complete his father's will, and his father had communicated to him in no uncertain terms that he had to go through there. He had to have this conversation, even though it was out of the way, even though it wasn't convenient. He says, it is my job to do the will of the father. Um, In fact, in John 17, it says, I finished the work that you have given me to do. And we talked about how it doesn't necessarily say what I want to do. I'm sure Jesus wanted to do a lot more things. But he says, no, I finished the work that you have given me to do. You're in charge of my schedule, my to-do list, my time, everything. And so to glorify God is to fulfill the task we were born for. To glorify God is to accomplish the mission that God has in mind for your life. To glorify God is not to finish the work you want to do, but to finish and complete the assignment that God has given you. And that takes some faith. It takes some trust. Because it sure seems like God is doing a bigger, better work with somebody else than he's doing with me. But maybe that's not the task for me. Maybe God wants somebody else to literally convert hundreds of people over here, but he says, no, for you, I want you to keep working on that same grouchy neighbor again today. And who are we to say no to God's will? Jesus' life purpose was to daily seek the Father's will and to do it. The second fundamental principle that we talked about a couple weeks ago, Lord, help me to distinguish between the urgent and the eternally significant. The urgent, the things that are pressing, the go, 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 and everybody else trying to tell you, you need to do this, and you need to do that. And they may be a bunch of good things, but are they great things? We looked in John chapter 11, when Christ raised Lazarus back from the dead, but he delayed for two days and then took another day to travel, and they said, Jesus, where were you? If you would have been here, But it was urgent to heal a sick man, but it was eternally significant to raise him from the dead, wasn't it? The healing of Lazarus would have been a good thing, but raising him from the dead was a great thing. The problem is we're the ones that think we know exactly what the great things are. Lord, if you would just bless my plans, the things that I feel are so urgent. No, the prayer needs to be, Lord, what is your will? What would you have me to do? Help me to decipher in the maze of this busy schedule and calendar and time of year between the urgent and the eternally significant. You're going to have to tell me. Because like in this story of Lazarus, things aren't always as they appear to be, are they? If his people are watching the indications of his providence and stand ready to cooperate with him, they will see a great work accomplished. God's not trying to hide his will from us. He wants to impart and to tell us and to give us that we may receive, but a lot of us aren't even listening. We're not spending time on our knees. We're not spending time in his word. We're not listening for that still, quiet voice to impress us. What is your will? What is the difference between the urgent today and the eternally significant today? 
The phone may be ringing off the hook, but maybe the eternally significant thing right now is to connect with my child in this way for the next 30, 40 minutes, to sit down and read this book, to go for a walk, whatever it might be. Continuing with this quote in, in volume six of the Testimonies, page 24, their efforts rightly directed will produce a hundredfold greater results than can be accomplished with the same means and faculties in another channel where God is not so manifestly working. It's this idea of following where the Spirit is moving and being in tune with the Holy Spirit and saying, Lord, use me to accomplish your means and your purposes. So we have three eternal principles. And the third one that I want to look at today at the bottom here, Jesus' life purpose was to know God and to make him known. Jesus' life purpose was to know God and to make him known. What does that mean? Well, turn me, if you will, to Mark, the first chapter. And you're going to need to find this in your own Bible or the Pew Bible in front of you. I have the reference up here, but I don't have the verses. So we're in Mark chapter 1, verse 21. And we're looking for how did Jesus, what was Jesus' purpose? And is it a biblical idea that his purpose was to know God and to make him known? So Mark chapter 1, verse 21, Then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he had taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now you read similar accounts in Luke chapter 4, verse 16 is one. As his custom was, he went into the synagogue. Yes, Jesus too kept the Sabbath. I believe the Sabbath was sacred to Jesus. I believe he recognized the Sabbath as holy time. And as you continue on reading there, There are two instances before the day expires, or before the sun sets, I should say, that Jesus does some healing. There in verse 23 and following, a man comes to him with an unclean spirit, and he rebukes and casts out this demon. That's case number one. Following that, he goes to potluck at Peter's mother-in-law's house, and he finds out that Simon Peter's mother lay sick with fever in verse 30, and they told him about her at once. So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she served them. Two. But then when we get to verse 32, at evening, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. He did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. I mean, this is revival in Capernaum. But before we get all caught up in that, because that's a a huge thing that takes place Saturday night, but notice on Sabbath, he only does two. Now, a case can be made, and I think it's valid, that people didn't want to bring everybody on the Sabbath for fear of the Pharisees and so on. But I also think there's another valid reason there's only two. And this is maybe a side point, but if you'll just humor me for a moment. Are there any caregivers here? Any physicians, any doctors, any dentists, anybody that looks after elderly parents or whatever the case may be? 
If you're a caregiver, you know that caring for other people can be a challenge. It can be a lot of work. It can require not just your, your time and your effort, but emotionally, it requires a lot. Now, doctors and physicians, even pastors, you can lump us in there too, we get a pass on Sabbath, don't we? Because we have to have our doctors and physicians on Sabbath, we have to have our pastor up here preaching on Sabbath, and so we get a pass, if you will, but I think too often the pass goes too far. I think too often the physicians or the nurses or whoever, and I'm not trying to be critical or judgmental, this is a personal choice that you have to make, but one, is it an emergency? Yes, somebody has to be there caring for the sick. Yes, there are things that have to be done. But let's face it, there's all kinds of medical things that can take place on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday that don't have to happen on Sabbath. Does that mean there's not an emergency on Sabbath? No. If I leave here and I find myself uh, trying to face off with a Mack truck down here on the highway, I want some physician to be there. But if I'm recovering and I'm needing PT three days a week, one of them doesn't have to be Sabbath. Are you with me? I think from this passage here, we see that if it's an emergency, if it's something pressing, he does it. But think about this, if you will, from Jesus' perspective, because the line starts to form as the sun sets. If this was every Sabbath for Jesus, doesn't he too need time to rest? to recover, to recoup, to draw on what comes to him from on high. There's this article that I uh, was brought to my attention last few weeks. Why observing Shabbat or Sabbath makes me a better doctor. This is a Jewish uh, doctor here, Jacob Freeman, who writes the art article. Within the article is this, keeping Shabbat or Sabbath keeps me sane. Back in med school, when my roommate asked me how I'd identify all 3,481 parts of the human abdomen and thorax of our anatomy test, are there really that many? I'm a doubter. Anyway, I explained to him, resting one day a week gives me the power to study hard through the other six days. The mindfulness of Sabbath provided me, left me rejuvenated enough to brave the monsoon of medical school exams and weathered the storm well enough to land at a Harvard Medical School for a top-notch residency program. Amen. Yet all along the way, you know your vacation for the rest of your life, every seventh day, really? You think that's going to work in the medical field, really? But he kept doing it. And he says in the article, if there's an emergency, sure, absolutely. But if it's not an emergency, I'm not there. In red here, serving, sorry, observing Sabbath prevents me from being another victim of the burnout epidemic ravaging my colleagues in the medical field. Is there burnout in the medical field? Constant needs? You're specialized in this area, you're the only one, and, and the appointments are already out for three months, six months, eight months, and people are in pain and in need, and it's... But this doctor says, I observed the Sabbath, and it's helped me. A few things in red here. 
Observing Sabbath prevents me from being another victim of the burnout academic. We already said that. Looking at the faces around the hospital on Monday mornings, you don't have to be an expert psychiatrist to see despair in the eyes of the folks who work straight through the weekend and didn't spend any time with their loved ones. It's the look of mental exhaustion. He talks further about burnout, the Sabbath. It's important, isn't it? And I believe Jesus did all he could to rest on the Sabbath. Now let's look at verse 35. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight. Keep in mind, the whole city has shown up just the night before. All Saturday night was busy. I imagine it was a late night, don't you? You don't process a whole city, as small as it might be, and get to bed on time. But now early in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place. And there he prayed. If Jesus needed to do this every day, if Jesus needed to find that quiet place where he could commune with his heavenly father, where he could receive the gift of the Holy Spirit being poured out through the most holy place of the sanctuary, if he needed that, how much more? And he could have reasoned. He says, you know, I'm in ministry full time. I'm preaching the gospel full time. I am giving Bible studies, if you will, all day long. I'm talking about God all day long. Isn't that good enough? But that's precisely the reason. I thought about doing it this morning. I didn't. I didn't. But have you ever poured a pitcher? Of course you have. And you pour out I know in our house we make uh, these green smoothies. We had one last night. And you pour, 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 pour. And the whole time you're trying to think, I hope I don't run out before I get to number six or whatever it is in your house. So you're trying to figure out, is this one too much? Not enough? Okay. Ministry, caregiving, helping others, helping your family. You're pouring, aren't you? You're giving. You're expending of yourself. But if you're not replacing... If it's not coming back in, I mean, really what needs to happen is as you're pouring, another pitcher needs to be pouring in there or, or, you know, you can do the illustration a lot of the ways. It's got to stop and let it be refilled. Put more stuff in there and blend it up, whatever. But if all you're doing is pouring and you're expecting to never run out and never place something back in, that's going to be burnout. It's going to be a problem. And Jesus recognized with all the needs with everybody pressing in constantly for his attention. If he did not take this time daily, he would be emotionally exhausted. This quote says here in Desire of Ages 362, in a life wholly devoted to the good of others, the Savior found it necessary to withdraw from the thoroughfares of travel and from the throng that followed him day after day. He must turn aside from a life of ceaseless activity and contact with human needs to seek retirement and unbroken communion with his father. He saw it a necessity. Has to happen. Without it, he wouldn't last. Luke 11, verse 1. I'm not going to read it, but there's two times where Jesus says the Lord's Prayer. One is in the Sermon on the Mount, and the second time is here in Luke chapter 11. And in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, it's very simple. The disciples just simply say, teach us how to pray. But if you go to the Thoughts of the Mount of Blessings, the disciples are looking. Where's Jesus? He's absent again. I imagine this was commonplace. 
And so they go hunting now for Jesus. Where could he be? Where would he be? Where does he like to go? Where was he yesterday? Is there a vista, an overlook? a grove of trees somewhere, and they find Jesus praying, and they get to hear him praying audibly out loud. And they have seen Jesus wearied. They've seen him heavy and burdened with all the stresses of ministry. And it says there that that the disciples and his family, they worry that this would cause his own death. But they see him in those moments of prayer, and his face is radiating. They've seen him come out of those moments of prayer, and he has a peace. He has a comfort. He has an assurance. He has purpose. He has direction. He has been refilled. He's been recharged, if you will. And when they come and they find him on this particular instance, it says in Thoughts of the Mount of Elijah, I think it's 102 or 103, somewhere in there, they are so impressed because they are realizing now this is the source of his strength. And in that moment, they say, Jesus... Teach me how to pray. I need that too. And he takes them through it. Continuing on, we're back in Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he, Jesus, went out and departed to a solitary place. When every other voice is hushed and you can hear the impressions of the Holy Spirit, no distractions. And there he prayed. Verse 36, and Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And when they found him, they said to him, everyone is looking for you. Do you sense the urgency? There are still blind people that need to be healed. There's still the lame that need to walk. There are still the dumb that need their, lo- their tongues loose. There's still children that are, are, are hurting and in pain and sickness. There's all kinds of needs. There's demon possession. We need to go. Let's go. This is urgent. Your work is not done. Everyone's looking for you. But he said to them, and this is so perplexing, let us go into the next towns that I might preach there also because for this purpose I have come forth. Now, I I find that confusing because when we talk about ministry, We try to build up a crowd, groups of people, interest, trying to help them with their present needs. And here that's been done. There's this huge crowd and everybody is lined up. And where's Jesus? We want more. Now, if this was our ministry, we'd say, praise the Lord. If this was our ministry, we'd say, call the Carolina Conference. Have them come and see. All of the whole town has come out for this ministry that's meeting the needs of the people. Jesus is healing the sick. This is huge. And Jesus says what? Let's go up to Waynesville. Let's go beyond that to another place. And because my purpose is to do what? To preach the gospel. Now, don't get me wrong. The health message is the right hand of what? The gospel. But what I see here in this verse is which is more important? The gospel. Because at the end of the day, you can make the atheist live another 10 years longer. But if they still burn in hell, what's the point? Isn't it true? You can feed their temporal needs today. But if they still burn in hell, what's the point? Now, please don't hear what I'm not saying. 
I believe ministry is the right hand of what? The gospel. And we have seen people in this church, because of ministry, be connected with the gospel. And I say, praise the Lord. Does that mean everybody that we help in some way is going to end up receiving the gospel? No. Jesus didn't get that either. But it's the right hand. What sometimes frustrates me, and I'm not necessarily talking about this church, I'm talking in a general way now. What frustrates me is when you have a right hand that's just a hand, and there's no gospel. Well, what does your church do? And they have this long list of all the things that they do. And it almost sounds like they've, they've created this dynasty for themselves, but they don't connect it with the gospel. Have you ever seen that? Well, they're not ready for it. It's too soon. Some might reject it. I promise you some will. But some will accept it. And so we need to have the right arm, but we need to have the heart of the message, and that's the gospel. Because the reality is, there was a sick person in that town. There was a sick lady, a sick girl, a sick whoever, and they didn't get healed. Is it true? They didn't get it. Why? Because Jesus says, my purpose, for this purpose I have come forth, that I may preach the gospel. That was his overall bedrock purpose, to know God and to make him known. And sometimes this cuts a little bit close to home for us, doesn't it? Because we feel like we're that sick person in Capernaum, and we just know that Jesus will come and do the same thing for us that we've heard praise reports from in church, and we're just waiting for him to do it. We're waiting for him to deliver, and Jesus decides to go someplace else. And we're left wondering, what happened? What happened is you didn't understand and I didn't understand that Jesus has a bigger, larger purpose than my healing, and that is my salvation. Jesus has a bigger, larger purpose than healing the entire planet and fixing all the problems. It's salvation. It's eternity. It's not just the urgent. It's the eternally important that he's most concerned with. Jesus' greatest purpose was to know God and to make him known. I mean, you stop and think about it. Why did Jesus even come to this planet? To make God known, wasn't it? I believe he was, in a desperate way, wanting to show this broken planet a better way. I'm not saying he didn't want to heal people. I'm not saying he didn't want to help fix and cast out and do all these other things. He did. But in John 17, 4, when he says, I've completed all that you have given for me to do. I have done your will. There were still sick people. There were still people in need. But he says, I have known you and I've made you known. I fulfilled the purpose. I've asked for you to show me your will and you've done that. Not my will, but yours be done. And I've done my best by God's grace to crowd out the urgent and look at what's internally important. I mean, this verse here. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. That's the bedrock of the whole thing. So again, am I saying we shouldn't do right arm ministry? No, we should. But let's not do it for 10 years before we have a reaping event. I give them opportunity to make a decision. Johnny Erickson taught, I've talked about her one other time before. She had a diving accident at a young age in her teens, and uh, she was a quadriplegic. And now she paints 
uh, not with her hands, but with her mouth. And Mark Finley interviewed her a long time ago now, probably 20, 30 years ago or more now, and said, Joni, have you ever been bitter about the fact that this accident took place and that God didn't heal you and you had to live the rest of your life? You know, in your prime, if you will, as a teenager, the rest of your life, a quadriplegic, were you ever bitter about that? And she said, you know, when this happened, I had people tell me, God's going to heal you. If you just pray, I know God will heal you. And she wasn't healed. And then they said, well, if you have enough faith, God will heal you. I mean, that kind of adds insult to injury, right? When healing doesn't take place. But she says, I was studying Mark chapter 1, and it became clear to me. She looked at this passage, recognizing everyone is looking for you. People still want to be healed. But Jesus, in verse 38, said, Then let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. She said, I realize that Jesus could have been so caught up in healing, so caught up in these other things, that people would have missed the main purpose of why he was there. And that was to preach the gospel. And she says this, after reading Mark 1, I understood that the healing of my body was important, but there was something more significant and more important. God's greater purpose for me is to know God. God's greater purpose for me is to make him known. There is something bigger than our comforts, than our health, than just having a good day. Lord, help me to have a good day. No, Lord, help me to do things that are eternally significant. Help me to go about your errands, not my own. Because the day will come when what's eternally significant will be the only thing significant. And all those things about health and new bodies and new this and new that, that's going to be done. But if the other has not been tended to, it'll be lost forever. So three eternal principles. We could say three prayers, heartfelt prayers. Lord, what is your will? Lord, help me to distinguish between the urgent and the eternally important. And Lord, I want my life purpose to be to know you and to make you known. Outside of that, so much else is just commentary. But if you want to live life to the fullest and more abundantly with a purpose, God's purpose, God's plan, pray this prayer. Pray it daily. Pray it hourly. Lord, what's your will? Is this just urgent or is this eternally important? Lord, I want to know you with everything I have. I want to spend time. Devotions take time, but I'm willing to take the time because I want to know you intimately. And that's the only way I'm going to know your will. That's the only way I'm going to know what's eternally important. And then not only do I want to know you, I want to share it with everybody. I want to make you known to this community, to my neighborhood, to my family. And if we do that, we won't regret it when Jesus comes to take us home. Dear Heavenly Father, we need you desperately. We don't want you to just be a part of our life. We want you to be our all. 
And so, Lord, we want to pray these prayers, not once or twice, but over and over and over again. Lord, what is your will? Lord, what is eternally significant? Lord, how can I better know you and make you known? Is our heart's prayer this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.